What is up, everybody? Welcome into Locked on Tigers. I am your host, Chris Castellani. It is Tuesday, December 1st, 2020. We have made it to the final month of this god-awful year that has been 2020. A little bit of news to discuss today. This show will be a little bit more structured than some of the recent shows that we have done, which have been a little bit more free-flowing. In the first segment here, we're going to talk about the two signings that went down, both made, strangely enough, by the Kansas City Royals. They acquired two players. I'm going to talk about what that means for them, what that means for the AL Central, and what it means for our lowly Detroit Tigers. And in segment two, I'm going to be positive for once, believe it or not. And I'm actually going to do something that I I, re- I really did, especially over the last couple months, because I have spent a whole lot of time ripping Major League Baseball, and most of it I don't take back. But I'm going to spend time in the second segment talking about what Major League Baseball did right in 2020, because it wasn't all doom and gloom. There was a lot of doom and gloom, but it wasn't all terrible. And I'm going to talk about that in segment number two. But here in segment number one, I'm going to talk about the fact that the Kansas City Royals made two signings over the last two days. I'll start with the second signing they made. They signed outfielder Michael Taylor formerly of the Washington Nationals. He's an outfielder. Had some okay moments with the Nats. Also had a, a few blunders. You know, he was a streaky player, and he would get hot at random times. I remember in the 2017 NLDS against the Cubs, he was phenomenal. I mean, nearly carried him to winning that series. You know, kind of the, the unsung hero would have been the unsung hero, if not for the fact that the Nationals came up short and lost in five games to the Cubs that year. Not a terrible player, but this is... an. an and I, people are going to take this the wrong way, but it's true. Uh, this is a Kansas City Royals signing. The Kansas City Royals are a small market team, and small market teams are going to spend small marketedly. That, that's just the truth. You know, They don't have the ability or the budget to be able to splurge on guys, and they're going to get someone like Michael Taylor. I believe it's a one-year deal. Probably a potential trade bay guy. Good defender, good athlete, has has struggled with injuries in the past, but I think, I don't know if they're planning on having him be an everyday center fielder. If he is a platoon guy, you know, he could be one of those signings like the Tigers have attempted to have over the last several years. A guy who will give you 60 plus good games or 70 plus good games. And then maybe you trade him for one or two prospects at the deadline and call it a night. I don't think he's really going to contribute much. And, And if I'm looking at parts of the Kansas City Royals organization that I'm afraid of. Uh, I'm not looking at Michael Taylor, sorry. Next, you have a pitching signing. This went down, this was announced on Sunday night, right after I recorded yesterday's podcast, and that's Mike Miner signed with the Kansas City Royals. It was a two-year deal. Several people surprised by this. Mike Miner, one of the better pitchers on the market, sure, I guess. I mean, Mike Miner's had, had a pretty solid career. You know, has come back from several injuries, but 71-66 and 66 career record, 398 ERA, 8.2 strikeouts per nine innings, has pitched over 200 innings a pair of times. He had a, a career year in 2019 with the Rangers, 14-10, and 10, 359 ERA, career high in innings with 208, uh, struck out 200 for exactly 200 for the first time in his major league career, thought he was going to be trade bait, did end up getting traded last year uh, for not much, I mean they traded him for what, 20 games given the, the season that we had 
a year ago. The Rangers really screwed this up royally because they had they signed Mike Miner and Lance Lynn under the pretense that they were going to be two guys who could contribute to their rebuild. If they put together good seasons, you could flip them for prospects, make some moves, and hey, if they had a transcendent season, maybe you could get some really good guys in that deal. But they didn't. They held on to him for whatever reason. And Mike Miner, who probably should I would have traded Mike Miner, and I like him. I think he's a good pitcher for the most part, or at least he's had a good career. But I would have traded him in the middle of 2019. I mean, the guy was 31 years old. Everyone knew he wasn't going to be better than that. But they held on to him. And for lack of a better uh, phrase, Mike Miner was good or trash last year. I mean, he was 1-6 with a 5-5-6 ERA. That's you know just below Matt Boyd levels of awful. I guess that's the, that's the new barometer. That's the new measuring stick for how bad a pitcher is, is how they stack up to Matt Boyd of all people. He wasn't good. Only one win a year ago. Gave up a lot of hard contact. Pretty much all his numbers were down from a season ago. Whip was actually better than, the, than it was in 2019, ironically. But FIP was way up. ERA was way up. Pitched fewer innings per start. Is still capable of striking guys out. People were surprised by this because I think they believe that Mike Miner, who at 32 years old, a guy who's has some city miles on him, come back from injuries. I mean, this is a guy who missed two full seasons, I believe, getting his, his elbow surgically repaired in Tommy John. I mean, he's had to fight through a lot. He's, he's a perseverant guy, and I, he's been a good pitcher in, in the past, but I, I think a lot of people believe that kind of in the twilight of his career, he may sign a one-year deal with a competitive team. I'm not saying it was going to be this team, but a team like the Padres or maybe the Reds, a team that's kind of looking to fill that gap for one more fourth or fifth starter, a, a contender, a team that maybe he could win a World Series, which, which which is something he hasn't done in his career. Instead, he decided to go to Kansas City. It was a two-year deal. I do like the two-year deal because once again, and I've talked about this in the past with the Tigers, it allows you some flexibility in terms of being a potential trade piece if he pitches well this year, this year meaning in 2021, he could be a guy who could get flipped for uh, more prospects or better prospects than you may initially believe because, as I've brought up, as Steve Stone, who kind of coined this phrase, uh, brought up on Twitter, you don't trade players, you trade contracts. And a guy with a two-year deal is far more appealing as a, as a trade deadline acquisition than a guy who's only going to pitch uh, seven or eight games for you in a one-year contract. What does this mean for our Tigers? What does it mean for the AL Central? Well, it means the Royals are going to continue to Royal. Uh, the Royals are not a good baseball team, but I think they have an identity. Identity. They have some legitimate players. Whit Merrifield is a wonderful ball player. Jorge Soler took a step back a season ago, but that dude can mash. You know, they've got some. They've got some heavy hitters in that lineup. Salvador Perez in 60 games last year restored his career. I mean, he was better last year than he's ever been offensively. Minuscule sample size. But coming after missing all of 2019, pretty remarkable comeback, all things considered. I mean, that, that was a guy who gets beat up on a nightly basis behind the plate. Salvador Perez kind of been the heart and soul of that organization for a long time. It is worth saying, and I'm not, it is December 1st, so I'm not in panic mode yet, necessarily. But it is worth noting that you're starting to hear some rumblings, okay? You're starting to hear some rumblings about the Reds. They want to acquire a shortstop. Maybe they'll trade for Francisco Lindor. You're hearing rumblings about the Indians who are kind of, you know, considering blowing this thing up and trading Lindor. And obviously that's a disappointment for a lot of Indians fans, but it means that they're kind of getting the ball rolling on what they're going to do this offseason. And then you have the Tigers, who you heard about potentially being linked to a Taewon Walker deal. That was a couple weeks ago. You haven't heard anything since. One of the biggest issues I've had with Al Avila as a GM has been his timidness, his ability to wait to the last 
possible second to make moves. Now, in fairness to him, the A.J. Hinch deal was the opposite of that. 30 minutes after the World Series, he called A.J. Hinch. They knew who they wanted to hire, and they got their guy, and I gave him credit for that. I came on here. You can go back and listen to that podcast, as happy as I was that A.J. Hinch is now managing the Detroit Tigers. I acknowledged Al Avila showed a lot of gumption, and I give him credit for that, but that's not good enough. Just hiring a good manager and a good pitching coach and having a good coaching staff is not good enough. You need players. And Chris Illich is one of the richest men in the world. The guy just made more money in the time it took me to say that sentence than I will probably make in my life. I don't want any more excuses. The media browbeats Al Avila into, to force, forced him to say, what's the timeline? And eventually, I believe it was in 2018, he said, all right, look, fine. After 2020, that's when we're going to spend. That's what you said, buddy. Now it's time to make those moves. The Royals are making moves, and they're not big moves. If the Royal, if the Tigers signed Mike Miner and Michael Taylor, I would poo-poo it. Like, but the, ultimately, though, different circumstances. Those are the guys the Royals signed. The Royals don't don't build through free agency. They never have. They've built through trades and th- and through their farm system. That's how that's how they won the World Series in 2014 and 2015. They with that great bullpen with Davis and Herrera and Holland and Madsen and that really solid lineup that they had, which you featured some journeymen, some some small signings like Kendrys Morales and a lot of trades like them acquiring Lorenzo Cain, but there were also some key pieces that they developed like Haas like Gordon. The Tigers are trying to do a bit of both. They're trying to develop through the system, and I, I find that commendable. I think what they've done is easy. Like I, I, That cannot be ignored here. Any single-digit IQ moron could field the worst team in baseball. That's a very easy thing to do. Now, because of that, they fell into some, fingers crossed, hopefully, generational talent. It's time to fill those gaps, guys. I'm, I'm tired of this. They've been intentionally crap for four years, I want to I want to just hear their names being thrown around. Like if I hear that DJ LeMahieu has it down to three teams, the Tigers, the Yankees, and let's say the the Blue Jays, and he ends up signing with the Yankees or the Blue Jays, hey, you know what? Those teams are in a better position to win. That's going to happen. It's like recruiting in in uh, basketball or in football. Sometimes those big guys just fall through your fingertips because they find a more appealing scenario. I'm not saying go out and splurge. I be a bit more aggressive. I don't th- I think that's a pretty low bar to be honest with you. I don't think I'm asking for much in this instance. The Royals are making moves. You know the White Sox are going to make some moves outside of their managerial hire, which was a joke. Tigers got the money. It's time to spend, period. And I've said this before, but I've shivered over the last couple days at the thought of them going through another offseason where their best signing is a one-year $7 million deal. They have too much money to do that five years in a row. They just do. When I come back, we are going to be a bit more positive. I'm, I'm going to talk about what Major League Baseball did right in 2020. We'll be right back. Join Walking Baseball Encyclopedia Paul Francis Sullivan, please. Call him Sully. Every day on Lockdown MLB for a unique look at the majors, both present and past. Featuring exciting guest interviews, routine check-ins from the Locked On MLB Network's teams of local experts, and insightful analysis of the day's biggest stories. Locked On MLB is the single best source for daily baseball talk, other than Locked On Tigers, of course. Subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back, everybody. Thank you very much for tuning in today. So, as I said in the first segment, in this segment, I'll be talking about things Major League Baseball did well this year, in 2020. Now, I was probably about as critical as anybody of the way this season went, how it was organized, the amount of games. It, well, for lack of a better phrase, it broke my heart 
everybody. It really, it really did. I, I was really busted up about the way things went. The labor negotiations were really, really brutal. And look, I understand it's a business, and players want to get paid, and owners want to go from being millionaires to billionaires to trillionaires. I, I understand that, but you know, we were in the middle of a worldwide pandemic, which we still are. It hasn't gone away, and people were dying, and people were losing their jobs, and we were in the middle of the summer, and it it really felt like baseball was needed. Sports were needed. And the, the, I use this phrase over and over, golden opportunity. It was a golden opportunity for baseball to rise up, to play 100-plus games, you know, to do the impossible in the middle of a, of a pandemic-ridden year. And they didn't. They played that lowly 60-game schedule. A champion was crowned, and you know you could say how official it was, how tainted or not tainted it was. I'm not going to have that conversation right now, but there were a lot of things that they did wrong. But it was not all doom and gloom. So let's just talk about what Major League Baseball did right in this segment. What were the things in 2020 that Major League Baseball did that I was okay with? There's, there's three things. Number one, and this is almost a backhanded compliment, but I think it is fair. They completed a season. They got to the end of the season. And look, baseball, we knew, was going to be the first ones that were going to test the waters. How are they going to be able to get this thing wrapped up? They were the guinea pig in this whole thing. You know, more so than NBA, more so than NFL. They were going to be the first ones to put their toe in the pond. And I didn't envy anyone who was in charge in that particular situation. Not in the slightest. And in August... It seemed like this thing was probably on the verge of falling apart, and, and I can't wait to read. Well, I don't, I don't read books, but I can't wait to watch. I can't wait to watch the documentary about how close this thing was to shutting down. And I think we will find out years from now that they were probably one or two outbreaks away from really closing this thing down. You had two. You had the Marlins. You had the Cardinals. I think after that, they would have started to consider: is this thing even worth playing? And that would have been a legitimate argument, in my opinion. So they got to the end of a season. I give them. A ton of credit for that. Number two, the big thing that I think Major League Baseball did successfully this year, DH in both leagues. Look, and it's, I said it from the beginning, and Rob Manfred is a fool. He is a dunderhead if they don't stick with that rule. And there's always those people, eh, well, in my day, the pitcher always hit, and the pitcher produced, and he learned how to bunt. If these guys just learned how to bunt, the game would be a better, more pure game. Ah, shove it. Enough. DH is awesome. Home runs are awesome. And this year, no one noticed it. After five games, everyone just accepted that's that's the way it was, and Boomers just shut up, and that's the way it should have been. The, the DH in both leagues was a overwhelming success. I was so happy that in the postseason, Clayton Kershaw wasn't pulled after four because Kike Hernandez was going to pinch hit for him. Lastly, but not leastly, and I fought back against this hard, and I criticized this hard, and I still think it's dumb long term, but hear me out, okay, hear me out just for this season. I even think I said that this particular thing, which I'm about to compliment, was quote-unquote a joke, and long term, I think it is. The one other thing I think Major League Baseball did right in 2020 was the expanded postseason. Now, I am not, absolutely not in favor of a 16-team postseason going forward. If we're going to play 162 games and you're just going to open up the postseason for every nonsensical bad team to essentially sneak into the playoffs and have their season be decided in three games after a 162-game marathon, uh, you can you can count me out. I think that is silly. 
But in a 60-game season, in which many people, myself included, I was kind of leading the charge, were questioning this season's legitimacy, this season as a whole became more legitimate when you saw what the Dodgers or the Rays or any of the other teams that made deep playoff runs had to go through just to get there. Having that added series, and it wasn't just the equivalent of a wild card playoff game. You had to win two out of three. And we know baseball. Baseball has a randomness to it, and that it's something I've complained about when Rob Manfred has brought up the idea of expanding the postseason going forward. But just for 2020, when only 60 games were played, to have a, a marathon postseason after a sprint of a regular season, a niche idea, uh, a unique idea, a, a short-term idea, but an okay idea nonetheless. And I'll say this, the postseason was, it was pretty entertaining. Wasn't perfect. Like I said, some bad teams got into the postseason. Going forward, I, I don't want to see it. But I think in general, I view it as more of a success than not. And like I, I'm, I'm, I will always question the legitimacy of this championship run. And not to take anything away from the Dodgers, it's, it's more a knock on MLB for what they weren't able to do. But I think adding an expanded postseason, having to go four rounds where you're playing at at the very least best two out of three or best out of five or best out of seven made this thing feel a bit more legitimate. So those were the things that Rob Manfred and company and the players and everybody involved, even the owners, did correctly in 2020. This is, and I, I look, I, I understand it, and it's one of the criticisms I've gotten in the past. This is a negative podcast. I don't mean it to be. I am a glass-half-empty type of guy. I have been for a large majority of my life, and I'm not going to go into details as to why. I'm not going to give you a, a psychoanalysis, but you know there are reasons for that. But I attempted with today's second segment to tell you that there were some good things that happened in 2020 in the game of baseball, and those three things to me are at the top of the list. So that will do it for today's show. You can follow me on Twitter at Castellani2014. That's at C-A-S-T-E-L-L-A-N-I-2-0-1-4. You can follow the show on Twitter at Lockdown Tigers. While you're at it, go to Apple Podcasts, go to iTunes, leave a written positive five-star review of this show. It would be much, much appreciated. Thank you very much for listening, everybody. I really appreciate it. Have a great rest of your day. I will see you tomorrow, and go Tigers.